This is Speaks Loud in the Words, episode 4, and I'm your host, Dave Reed. Keeping with the Scandinavian theme we started last episode with Jason Gill, we had the pitch shifters over from Denmark for this one. Two lovely guys that have done a lot of impressive work with some big names which you'll find out in the interview. Don't forget you can find us on Facebook at Warner Chapel and on our Twitter at Warner underscore Chapel and now our SoundCloud at soundcloud.com forward slash Warner dash Chapel dash UK. Chapel spelled C-H-A-P-P-E-L-L. So Pitch Shifters, thanks for agreeing to do this. We've had quite the morning already, haven't we? We just met in a cramped cafe. Yeah. And now we're in a cramped studio. Yeah. <laughs> it's all right. All in the day's work. Yep. For you guys, yeah. Not for, for me, but <laughs> for you. Well, no, we just wanted to talk to you about the songwriting process and about the whole craft and how you guys do it and even how you do it differently to perhaps other people. Yeah. Um, so just to give people an idea of who you are, where do you come from? Who are you, basically? We are Matt and Tor. We are from Copenhagen in Denmark, where we have our studio and where we work and then we travel a whole lot like London, New York, LA, nice. wherever there are good artists and writers. And you're in London because you're writing with people right now? Yeah, yeah. yeah. this is a short trip from Monday to Friday. Has it been a good week? Oh yeah, good artists and good writers. When we started out with the, working with directly with the artists for two days and then the last three days have been with the different kind of writing teams. The level of, of skill is like really high in London. Yeah. And, and we understand you were recently in LA, is that right? Yeah. How, how was that? What were you up to in LA? Uh, LA, we did a project with Soul Shark and we did some different stuff, some different pitching. We did a song with Damon Sharp and we did a song with Brett Burson. We did Ruby Go. We did. Wow, you were busy by the sounds oh, yeah. of it. Yeah. Every day. Yeah. Every day. Yeah, like meetings and sessions and, you know, networking. It's tough. Yeah. Tough life. When we travel, we try to book as many things as possible. Mm. We found out here in, in the UK that people are really on time and they don't cancel on you. Like in the US, you have to like triple book everything and then everything will fall into place perfectly. <laughs> yeah. But here, when you triple book, it will backfire on you because people will show up. <laughs> so we, we know that the next time we come here, we would just book one session a day. Instead of how many? Two. Really? Yeah. God. So that becomes a problem when you have to go home with the tube and then it stops running at like 12. Yeah. So it's not like in America where you just take the car home at like 4 in the morning or something. So that, that needs to come into the planning next time. <laughs> well, there you go. You've learned your lesson. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, so we just wanted to talk about your history in terms of what you listened to individually when you were growing up before perhaps what your siblings or parents listening to so what kind of things were you influenced before you actually started choosing the music you listened to what were you listening to before you could choose music uh, I listened to like hip-hop stuff like from very early age my big brother was really really hardcore into like heavy metal Judas Priest and King Diamond uh, and then one day he bought this Antrax album and there was this one song called bring the noise which was featuring a rap group called public enemy and I was like, this is fucking great. What is this? So that was like my way into the hip hop. It started with like heavy metal and straight opposite of hip hop. And how old were you in? I was like eight. 
actually I didn't really listen to the to the songs. I was listening more to like the interludes and the intros because it was like a horror movie on these Judas Priest, the King Diamond albums. But when the Bring the Noise came on, I was like, this is good music. So that's my beginning. And then I started to DJing and scratching and playing clubs and such. So that's like my my way in. For me, it's um, my dad's a musician as well. So, but he's like a folk musician. So he played the harmonica and you know violin and stuff like that. So there was always a lot of music uh, at my house with different people coming and playing together and like recording stuff. And but I think the music was for a kid like folk music is maybe kind of boring. So. But luckily, my mother was very much into rock music when she was young. So we had a lot of like Jimi Hendrix albums and Led Zeppelin and stuff like that. So I listened a lot to that. And then she was a, she's a big uh, jazz freak, like the whole fusion jazz scene from the 70s. So there was a lot of like Weather Report and Return to Forever, Chick Corea, stuff like that. So. That was actually the first music I started like really digging. Okay. Uh, jazz. Yeah, f- fusion jazz, not the beer belly jazz, and you know, <laughs> it was more like kind of rock jazz, kind of, but very like technical and with all these uh, crazy stuff going on. So, and then moved on to like rock music, and eventually also like hip hop music. When I was like 10, 12 years old, I started listening to mainly like west coast stuff like nwa and eze and all this uh, later on dr dre and snoop dogg and when when we came into the 90s so. yeah i mean we were talking earlier about how in denmark there's a huge rock culture it sounds like earlier how is it growing up with that and being interested in hip-hop and all that other type of music. You go against the grain and I think that's why you become so good at what you do because it's a really nerdy kind of thing because you got it for yourself like choice from a small island and I'm from a, like a real small town up north on the countryside so you be like the way of going to music is like on a real nerdy level but that's also why you become good at it and you know so much and you know everything about what you do is because you, you can't just walk down on the street and be inspired you gotta go and find it yourself and pre-internet pre-internet you only had your magazines and you had your mtv but it was like a really really nerdy kind of thing but i think it was a really good thing also so when did you guys meet what, what, what year was that we met seven years ago at the most fucked up work ever <laughs> we picked up phone from for like a phone company so we sat there and picking our phone from <laughs> nine to five and then went straight to the studio. So yeah. there, was, there was a lot of musicians at this place because the salary was, was kind of good and you didn't have to think a lot when you did this job. So, it was a no commitment yeah. kind of job. <laughs> it was just like you didn't care about anything. And I had a studio at that time and uh, Mats was working at his apartment bedroom. In, in the bedroom <laughs> with a Atari computer and a, and a sampler. sampler. And then we started working together just for fun because we were really into non-commercial US hip hop, like something that were big in the States, but it never crossed over to Europe. So we, were, we really loved that stuff. So we just started making that kind of music for fun. 
and then it just evolved slowly yeah. then it was very niche in the beginning also yeah, like yeah, yeah. we were the ones who was we were the first one who ever took like a danish record and pitched it you know the high pitch vocal samples like Kanye West like did in the stage we were the first one who did it in Denmark can you remember your first project together what was that like we had a project on universal with a bigger production team who had done loads of stuff in the US before and they moved back to Denmark and then they had this project and they had me and Matt's work on it so it, it was like our way in so they they were like teaching us the ways of the music business yeah. and we were working with them and they were showing us how you make records how you record vocals it was they were like a little tutoring especially on the whole business side of because we had done many independent projects just for ourselves and just pressing 200 vinyls and just selling them. Um, but this was on a more like professional level. The song Turn Up that you worked on, um, tell us about your involvement in that. Oh, the Jedekia song. We've worked with Jedekia for like almost two years now. I think we had like three or four cuts on his album, which is coming like beginning of next year. And this one was to gain hype around this new album. He did the big, big, big mixtape this summer called Consignment. And we sent a batch off through our management. We got the same management as Jadakis, and he, he picked it. So we actually wasn't that involved in the, the whole structure of Wale and Future being featured. So that was like really easy. We did a, we did a batch of tracks, sent it uh, to him, and he liked this. And he, he and the engineer in, uh, in D-Block actually just put it all together. So that was easy. Sometimes it's just present on the email and sometimes yeah. you got to take two weeks off to do uh, one song which makes the cut. Some of the other songs we did on his forthcoming album were made in New York with writers and stuff like that in yeah. the studio. I think on the whole mixtape kind of thing, it's it's not as big as doing a released album. The mixtape is more like the artist's vision and his close like either it's Often it's just the artist and the management who, who chooses and, and, and is like in control of the mixtape. The album is a whole other story. <laughs> that's, that's why it's so fun to listen to mixtapes and why I think mixtapes has such a great and big, it's a big thing in the US. If the mixtapes are going good, it can really build an artist. Yeah, so like Mick Mill, like he's a millionaire before the album dropped, like, and that's because of mixtapes. He's a superstar before he even made one album. And same thing with Drake. He came up just doing the mixtape. He was like a big, big, big A-list artist before he ever made the album. It's so much easier for the artist vision to come across to the listener because there's not... It goes straight from the artist studio to the listener. It, it doesn't have to go through seven VPs and all kinds of different bullshit before it, it hits the listener. That's the so, great thing about hip-hop as well, yeah. that it's such a big thing. Imagine if it was the same in like straight radio pop, if you could get the Taylor Swift just putting out new unprocessed stuff with no label involvement. I guess it would sound maybe a little different. Perhaps, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Before we get into the songwriting process, we'll, we'll probably touch on this in the next question, but what makes you guys different to other people? In the urban area, we are way more musical. We thought it was like specific things in the in the tracks, but I've I got a feeling like it's it's the whole package which sounds bigger. It's it's a bit more clever than typical American. Now we're talking urban stuff. Like the pop and rock has always been like 
musical, big sounding, but on the urban side, every time people hear it, they can just feel this is your song because it just sounds musical on another level. When we play stuff from it, they say, wow, it's a big sound. Yeah, and also because of our different backgrounds, I think because like, towards more like classical trained musical where I'm more from a DJ background. A lot of stuff you hear in the urban world, it's from a producer, which is either one of them. A lot of music don't got both the balls and the musical stuff, you know what I mean? Both the, the edge and the cleverness, the traditional, the classical sound. So going on to the process, it sounds like there's like there's two routes that you guys take. There's the producing a track and then sharing it to people. So let's talk about that first. I'm guessing that you just come together and you start working together and to produce a track. Do you want to go through that process a little bit? It's, it varies. Like sometimes a talk comes up. So I got this vision about. I heard this song, I heard this old Rolling Stones song. Oh, it's just playing around and see what happens with, with a new sound, like a new plug-in, a new keyboard, a new drum bang or whatever. And then the sound just evolves into a, a track. It varies a lot yeah. because we do so many co-writes. And so a lot of time we actually build everything with the artist or the writer right there while we're writing the song. It's kind of like producing it as you go on just doing a simple drum pattern and finding some chords and then evolving the whole sound around that so it, it varies very much but of course we still sit down just making something from scratch as Matt says individually do you just one of you cover one thing and the other person covers another thing or do you just both hit it and you just just jump right in together we always work together actually I know there's a lot of teams working separately like they have two rooms. two rooms and then they join together and do the best stuff but we actually sit in the same room and just taking turns like yeah like Matt go at it for a half an hour and I sit on the internet just listening and maybe coming with ideas like if you move the kick drum a little bit it would make a better bounce to it and then he's moving in a little bit and then yeah th this is great and then he moves on and then I sit down and maybe do some chords and then, ah, oh, can you make it a little darker? Just throwing ideas around the room and then building it together, actually. How do you know what is a good track? There's something... You can just feel it. Almost every day we feel like this is the best we've ever done. <laughs> it's gonna change the world, so. so it's just a feeling like, I don't know, a football player when he hits the goal, I think it's the same. It's almost like every day we've got the feeling, this is fucking awesome. <laughs> it all depends on what kind of feelings you wanna bring across to the listener so if you do too many crazy turns on the way it, it might throw people off a little bit so it, it's all about making it a little crazy but without making it too much for people to don't know what yeah. what the vision is so it's you gotta say stop at one point and some days when you feel this is fucking insane it's hard to stop <laughs> when you don't work with top liners some days you just have an idea in, in your head that the track should stand on its own without a, even a top line or lyrics on it. And when you start to do that, then it's really hard to make room for a top line or a song. Almost every song we do is with a third person, like a top liner. So we are really open minded. So many times yeah. we go back to the track and we just strip, stop, strip, down, strip, stop, almost backtracking, taking steps back to actually the whole core of what yeah. makes it great how does that make you feel in the beginning it was kind of hard because we do it because we think it's necessary and you like it right yeah and yeah. we like it but our whole business is about songs it's not about tracks 
uh, one of our great inspirations said this summer to us that it doesn't matter if if you got 10 hot tracks and no songs one song is is way more important for you than 10 hot tracks so if it ain't gonna be a song it doesn't matter so the last couple of years especially because it has been so much traveling and so much focused it has changed our way of thinking when you build stuff so big then it's maybe the 25th thing you put on top that will actually stay there and all the 20 things before that will be stripped away but you wouldn't have reached that genius melody if you hadn't like taken the whole trip there so of course you waste a lot of time and a lot of ideas are scrapped but also a lot of times if we have a good idea that might not work for something we save it for something else and then we rework the melody or if it's a great sound or whatever and then nothing is wasted it's a good idea it's always a good idea you can use the next day we often go back to old stuff as well five six seven years ago just listening where you'd be like okay this sounds not so great but if there's a good idea in there maybe a great chord progression or great snare sound or whatever then we sometimes go back and just pick that one thing and then rework it and then it's something completely new it's just about not wasting good ideas this is might be a tough question do you prefer working on your own or do you prefer having that third person in in co-writing uh, we love to have the third person it's necessary mm. uh, definitely especially also because of the language because we have grown up with the english language in denmark and we do got a great vocabulary but it's, there's still like limits to our english way of thinking we and don't writing. think in english we or we, dream in english exactly. so it's like so it, especially in in the language you got to be fucking on point so we love to have the third person i think it's so inspirational working with different kind of writers because all writers are different so we really like to work with writers and let the writer lead the way of what they think should go because sometimes they will come up with something you would never have thought of like shit that's brilliant i would never have thought of that and then you just work together on that idea and Sometimes it's just about having the idea about something and then it evolves and like this whole song evolves around that. So. so so practically, say you've got this third person in the studio with you and you've got like a, a completely you know, blank page. You've got the file in front of you, nothing's on it yet. What happens there? Do, do you jump in or does the top planner jump in first? Can it be anything? It can be anything. Like you can start with, with the drums, you can start with the a top liner just humming a melody because of uh, another song we just heard. It varies because sometimes the, we just sit down and maybe agrees on like the basic stuff. Okay, are we gonna go for a R&B bedroom ballad or is it gonna be a hip hop track? And then just find a tempo to work on and then either do the drums or start just making some simple chord progressions and just take it from there just yeah there's no like no there's recipe. no formula there's no, no, plan, formula, yeah. no that's probably the best bit really it yeah. just you don't know where it's gonna go no. yeah do you guys have any tips for aspiring people in positions like yourself like seven years ago yeah like just keep going <laughs> get a computer get a computer and just believe in it and keep yeah. going keep never going. give up no we saw a, a p diddy update on instagram the other day he said 
Winners are not the one who never loses, but the ones who are never going to give up. Yeah, yeah. There will be so many doors slammed in your face and so many no's, 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 no's. But you can't let that affect your drive of wanting to succeed in something. Not every record executive or publisher or whoever you're going to run into is going to be the nicest guy or... Sometimes they will just tell you, I think it's shit. <laughs> so, and you just have to deal with that and just say, okay, you might agree or you might not agree, but th that shouldn't take your drive away from yeah. wanting to succeed in something. And of course you will make some shitty songs. That's how it is. When yeah. you make so many songs and so much music, then some of it is going to be shitty. And I think that's a good thing because I think what makes great songs is that you have had to make a hundred, two hundred shitty songs before that great one comes along. Because the best material is done when people are really like trying new stuff, experimenting like... It's because people take chances and invest some of themselves in the, in the work they do instead of just putting the same four chords together and doing the same backbeat as everybody else on the radio. So. So also, what's in the future? I saw some stuff about Pharrell and, and even Kanye West and how you're working with some of their artists. Yeah. Is that happening? Is you the Pharrell was a really good experience. Like we, we did a bunch of tracks. The Kanye was more like a meet. They had a major interest in like a bunch of tracks, but there's a lot of people going for Kanye. But we did good and our management is close to the camp. And so you never know. You never know. We haven't actually been in New York since we had that meeting at the Jungle City Studios. I think we we're gonna go back the next time we're in New York and meet up with them again. But as Matt says, it's when you're going for like really A-list, that's hard. Even for the best writers, the top-notch producers in the world, it's not easy if you wanna be on a Rihanna album or a Kanye West album, even if you're like the number one A-list writer in the world. It's So you really have to bring your A-game and, and also have a bit of luck to to make that happen. But it's all about, as I said before, like keep going and keep at it. And then I think that it will happen, of course. Well, guys, thanks very much for your time. It's been good no chat problem. to you. No problem. It was a pleasure. Cheers. The pitch shifters remind me a lot of the guys who I knew at school who always had their headphones on in the classes. I imagine they were probably a bit like that in their teens. Don't forget you can find us on Facebook, Warner Chapel on our Twitter at Warner underscore Chapel and now even our SoundCloud at soundcloud.com forward slash Warner dash Chapel dash UK. This is the last one of 2012. Thanks for all your support and we'll see you again in the first week of 2013.